Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, these friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hi, and welcome to Friends and Fiction, our weekly Facebook Live show featuring author chats in support of independent bookstores. We are so happy to see you here. And wait, you may be wondering who exactly I mean by we. There are supposed to be five of us, right? Ladies, are you there? Ladies, ladies? We're here! (laughs) (laughs) So that's better. As you can see, we are together. Actually, four of the five of us are together in person for the first time, practicing social distancing, with the exception of Mary Alice, who has a family emergency and will hopefully be dropping in later this week. So let's begin, and we'll be talking about that in just a second. So I'm Kristen Harmel, and my next book is The Forest of Vanishing Stars, coming July 6th. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my next book is Under the Southern Sky, coming April 20th. I'm Patty Callahan, and my next book is Surviving Savannah and comes out on March 9th. And I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my summer book is The Summer of Lost and Found, coming out May 11th. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my next book is The Newcomer, out May 4th. And this is Friends and Fiction. Welcome, everyone. Now I'm going to give these ladies just a minute to get back to their own computers. So as you can see, tonight is a very special night here on Friends in Fiction. Not only do we have number one New York Times bestselling author Britt Bennett on, but like I said, four of the five of us are all together in one place, collectively for the first time. So Mary Alice, we miss you. We wish you could be here too. We're really hoping that you could make it to join us in just a couple of days because it's obviously not complete without you. (laughs) We are five, right? you should be here. So we want you all to know we all took a rapid COVID test before coming. We have assigned seats in the house and hand sanitizer and Lysol everywhere. We are keeping masks on and keeping at least six feet between us. And we have a whole list of other precautions too. In short, we're not taking this lightly and we know that none of you are at home either. And though we all seem fine, we're keeping our distance from each other while we're here just in case which is pure agony because all I want to do is hug them all repeatedly. But this <laughs> virus is serious stuff and we're serious about not taking any chances. But there were um, there were about a million decisions we all needed to make for the future of Friends and Fiction, for the future of this show, for the future of everything we're doing together and we couldn't wait any longer. Um, so let me just tell you briefly about our... Um, 
our bookstore this week, and then we will introduce our amazing guest, who I know you're all very excited to see. We're so excited to talk to her. So named for historical heroine Harriet Tubman, Harriet's Bookshop in Philadelphia is our bookstore of the week. Harriet's is an independent bookstore celebrating female authors, artists, and activists. They have set up a special page for us on their bookshop.com storefront, which features a built-in 10% discount. So head to our Facebook page to find that link under announcements. You can get all of our recent books, plus Britt Bennett's two incredible books, The Vanishing Half and The Mothers. All right. So um, ladies, before we bring Britt on and before we do our introduction of her, um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about being together for the first time. And, you know, Mary Kay, why don't you start by telling us uh, where we are, telling telling yes. all the viewers out there where we are today. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, what has surprised us about being together. Yeah, we are at um, my family's uh, beach house on mm -hmm. Tidy Island. It's ebb tide. It's a uh, circa 1932 beat up old beach cottage, but it's it's big enough for all of us and and for all of us to social distance. So we are thrilled um, that everybody could make it here. Absolutely. So Mary Kay, do you want to start by talking about um, maybe one thing that surprised you about all of us being together here for the first time? <laughs> I was, well, the first thing was that so much wine got carried into this. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> Christy, that's got that your name cool. on it, I think. That was my contribution. <laughs> oh, was it ever? My goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's, a lot of, is key. <laughs> there's a lot of social lubricant here. Another thing is, um, you know, I've known Mary Alice and Patty for a long time and I, and have met Christy, but never met Kristen. Isn't that crazy? I know in person. But anyway, when Chris, uh, when Christy got here, we were like, wow, you're taller than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the number one big surprise. And I said, I get that a lot, which I think is like a, I don't know why. <laughs> I, that's funny. Well, and I always get, oh, you're shorter than I thought. Christy, what's one thing that surprised you about us being all together? Oh gosh. I don't It just, it feels very normal. You know, I think yeah. I was surprised yeah. at how it just feels like this is what we're always doing. And, um, I was thinking it would feel a little stranger than it did, but yeah. it, it just felt like, oh yeah, here we are. Yeah. Like normal. So. But I, I totally agree. Completely seamless. Like, like I've hung out with you guys hundreds of times before. It's so oh, weird. You have. <laughs> I know I have. I know this is like the new normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. What number of episode is this, y'all? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. 30-something? I think it, it's got to be. I, well, yeah. yeah. Our potato boy will tell us in a minute. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Patty, how so, about you? So 31. Episode 31. That's amazing. So, Patty, how about you? What was one thing that surprised you about being together? Um, I knew I was really, the whole time I was driving here, I was just so happy. I was like, oh, gosh, finally. And um, I think what surprised me when I got here was, I had this immense sense of relief. Yeah. It was not something I expected, but just this relief that it finally worked out and we were finally doing it. And maybe in that sense of relief that, that things will slowly start to change over the next few months. Yeah. You know, I know. That test hurts. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've all had 
everything's chewed. I think I have a scar on the inside <laughs> of my right ear duct. My, my oh. brain still hurts. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, stop. What are you digging for? It's like, I don't know. Exactly. Mary so, Alice, you know, a sense of relief that maybe yeah. times are changing yeah. and we're not always going to be, I mean, we're always going to be here for y'all on the computer, but maybe there's a time we can slowly start to also be together. Yeah, yeah. that'd be yeah. so nice. You're right. It feels like we might hopefully be moving in the right direction eventually. Yeah. Uh, Mary Alice, how about you? You're not with us right now. We're hoping you can make it down on Friday. What are you look, most looking forward to about spending Just some time seeing with us? you. I feel that, you know, I feel that, that I'm so far away and yeah. I um and I'm so grateful. Everyone should know that everyone in this room was so supportive of me when I had a little trouble at home and I really, it means a lot. So it doesn't have to be in person. I feel your love and I, I it means a lot. Well, poor Mary Alice is going to be stuck behind your computer all day tomorrow, zooming into our in-person. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I wouldn't miss it for the world. We're going to be sitting around in our individual chairs with our individual masks and Mary Alice is going to be in our screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Sitting no on mask. the coffee yeah. table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to every minute. <laughs> All right, everyone. We have an incredible guest backstage, and I don't want to make her wait any longer. So let me tell you a little bit about the wonder that is Britt Bennett. So Britt is the author of 2016's The Mothers, and of course, one of this summer's biggest hits, The Vanishing Half. The New York Times called the book gorgeously written and an ambitious meditation on race and identity. And boy, is it ever. I will let Britt tell you about the book in a moment, but I know many of you have read it and felt profoundly moved by it, as I did, I think as all of us did. It's the story of twin sisters who are Black, one of whom decides as a young adult to let the world believe she's white and whose own husband doesn't know anything about her past. But it's so much more than that, too. It's a story about how our pasts influence who we become and about how the choices we make shape our lives. One of the things that fascinated me about it is that it's a very specific story that at the same time feels like a very universal one in Brit's capable hands. And I think that's quite a feat. So in addition to becoming a, new, a number one New York Times bestseller over the summer, The Vanishing Half was also a Good Morning America book club pick, and it was long listed for a National Book Award. This is a book that is both elevated and accessible at the same time, and it truly became a part of the national conversation this year. So born and raised in Southern California, Britt graduated from Stanford University and later earned her MFA in fiction at the University of Michigan, where she won a Hopwood Award in graduate short fiction. In 2014, she received the Hurston Wright Award for college writers. And in 2016, her debut novel, The Mothers, which the New York Times called bittersweet, sexy, morally fraught, made its New York Times list debut. So without further ado, let's welcome Britt Bennett. Hi. 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 Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And if only you could be here with us in person too, that would be I know, amazing. I know. <laughs> so we are so thrilled you're here. We all have so many questions for you, but before we get started, would you tell us a little bit about The Vanishing Half, the book that everyone has been talking about since this summer? Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's a story of these twin sisters who live uh, very diverging lives. Um, and it was kind of sparked from a conversation with my mother about a, a town that she remembered hearing about growing up in Louisiana. And as soon as she told me the story about this town, it immediately struck me as the, the opening or the genesis for a novel. Mm. That's awesome. Um, Mary Alice, did you want to ask your question? 
I do. We, you know, first of all, I have to just tell you, there aren't a lot of books when you read the sentence, you just stop and have to reread the sentence. Mm -hmm. It was just so beautifully done. But what really interested me was the town of Mallard. You know, for everyone who has not yet, I don't know if there are many of you out there who haven't yet read the book, but it is this town, a small southern town where black people live who are very light skinned and they, in, the intention is to remain light. And I thought it was really interesting to bring out that racial identity question with that, you know, amongst the blacks. I think it's, it's a part of history that I'm not sure everyone's aware of. And you did such a good job bringing it out through this town. And number one, the question was, I Googled it. I couldn't find such a town. Is there such a town in the United States? And if so, tell me about it. And if not, what inspired you to create such a town? And the town absolutely influenced the characters. One went away, Desiree, Stella didn't come back. So it involved their characterizations. Can you talk about the importance of the town in the whole novel? And does it exist? Um, so no, not, not as represented in the book. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sparked by a town that my mother remembered hearing about as a child. Um, and, uh, so originally it kind of arrived to me as sort of a, it felt like a myth. It didn't feel like a, a real place, um, because it wasn't a place that she said she had been. It was just something she'd heard about growing up in Louisiana. Um, so, so no, it doesn't exist. Um, but I was able to draw on some actual, uh, sort of historical research for similar towns, these small mm -hmm. insular Creole communities in Louisiana um, that were very color conscious, although maybe not to the extent that it is in the book. So they did exist, color conscious communities. I knew yes. na nationally that was a big issue, but I didn't realize that there was a town. So, so that you made up the town, how did that influence Desiree, the twins, Desiree and Stella? Yeah, so the town came first, which is not normally the way that I write. Um, but the town came first, and as soon as I thought about the idea of this town that was obsessed with lightness and getting lighter, um, I thought about the idea of there being twin sisters who come from that town and decide to react to the values of that town in two very different ways. Mm. One who decides to uh, go in the opposite direction, and she not only wants to remain black, but she marries a man who's very dark. Um, and the other one who decides to go in the completely opposite direction decides to actually become a white woman. So to me, the, those characters kind of emerged from the town and the idea of this town being so strange and peculiar and, and oriented around this very specific value of prizing lightness above anything else. Yeah. And what it means for these two sisters to come from that same place, but decide to react to the values of that town in very different ways. The same town and the same mother who had very strong feelings about it, too. Yes. Yeah, I think twins kind of raise questions of nature versus nurture pretty naturally. Um, yeah. So the idea of them being, yeah, raised the same way, witnessing the same central traumatic events uh, growing up and, and one really rejecting the values of the town and the other one becoming complicit and kind of uh, furthering them away. Right. And, and that was the surprise, wasn't it, with Stella? Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, but Britt, you know, your book was one of the ones really at the center of the national conversation we're all having about race. But I've read this great quote from you saying, I'm not an educator. I'm just telling a story about these people and their choices. So it's strange to be swept up in this discourse. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that experience has been like for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's been strange. Um, I don't really have any a more eloquent way of putting it. Um, uh -huh. 
you know, I think I was working on this book for four or five years. Um, I did not foresee that the moment in which I was uh, publishing the book would be the kind of the week that the protests over George Floyd's murder really ramped up. Um, So I didn't anticipate that the whole point in which I was writing the book um, you know, it's not it's not as if that moment emerged from nowhere. So yeah. the whole point in which I was writing the book, uh, these things were happening. Uh, these types of murders and these types of protests were happening the whole time. So it doesn't it didn't feel sort of, you know, it felt strange that, that this was the lens through which the book was being read. Um, and I think beyond that, I, you know, the I think the anti-racist reading list, uh you know, there were lots of books on there written by educators and historians and people whose job is to explain. And that's not what I do. I'm not somebody, I don't, um, I don't have answers and I'm not particularly interested in providing them. Um, Mm. I think that for me, it's always about pursuing the most interesting question. And I think in this book, it's just about questions. It's about questions that I was trying to figure out and, and, uh, so it was strange, I think, to see the book kind of swept up in books that uh, alongside books that are meant to provide answers, because that's just not what I am capable of and not what I'm interested in. That's really well, interesting. It's interesting that you think that there are books that actually seek to provide answers that are fiction. Uh, no, not even necessarily fiction. I think okay. like, you know, how to be an anti-racist or, you know, these yes, other yes, books yes. that were like. Yes. Um, I think like that whole kind of anti-racist reading list emerging, uh, yeah. something, uh, you know, to see, to see, yeah, to see my book read alongside that just felt yeah. very strange because, yeah. uh, again, like Dr. Kendi is an educator. He's, you know, he's an academic, uh, I am not. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it was strange. Um, I think in a lot of ways and even for the book to be read in a contemporary way, it was strange because again, the events in the book take place decades ago and I never thought oh this book is going to come out and people are going to think it's really relevant you know it's not what I it's not what I imagined writing it so it was all very strange I think to experience the book being read against this much larger moment and how relevant it is today mm-hmm. still yeah 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 absolutely you know? so Christy um to, speaking of just the immense popularity of the book I know you had a question too yes I do and I do I have to like you know put my hat in the ring too of just saying I was so wowed by the story and I was in sort of, I was kind of having a book hangover. Like I just finished a couple of books that were just so fantastic. And I just kept picking things up and nothing was really the right thing. And then I picked up the vanishing half and I just could not put it down. It was just exquisite. So, um, which obviously everyone else felt that way too, because the film rights sold to HBO after a wild auction featuring 17 (laughs) bidders. Um, You know that I'm telling everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're telling you all the other things about your life. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us what it was like for you to go through that? And then is there anything you can tell us about the plans for the book on screen or for plans for the film version of the mothers, which is being developed by Carrie Washington. And another oh, thing we're telling you in yeah. case you yeah. Know that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, it was as wild as you can imagine. Um, it was just lots of calls. Uh, we, we just did it all on phone, but we didn't even have like the zoom. So it was just a lot of very uh, chaotic phone calls with a lot of people just trying to talk and, uh, on these calls. And, and, you know, I think it was surreal. It was, uh, it kind of happened all at once. It felt like where we started to have a few people who wanted to talk to us. And then the next thing you knew it was five, then it was 10, then it was 15. 
Um, and, you know, everybody was interested and was really mm. enthusiastic, was really passionate about the book and was really excited about it. So uh, it became so much larger than I think we anticipated the type of interest that we received. But uh, I was really thrilled to land HBO. I just think that they make such great television. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's exciting to imagine what this will be like as, as a limited series there. Um, I don't really have any other updates, to be honest. We are still assembling the creative team surrounding it. So I'm not adapting, um, but we're getting the writers together. Together, We're getting the producers together and all of that right now. So nothing has happened beyond that stage right now. Um, and as for the mothers, honestly, I have no idea. Um, I, the <laughs> last I've been told... You. <laughs> yeah, you guys, yeah you, guys, you guys might know. <laughs> yeah the last i knew they so they're still you know they're still excited they're still working on it but um but that's the last i've heard so that is completely at the mercy of the development gods at this point uh, but it's exciting regardless to to have that type of interest and to imagine the books translated into a different form is fun yeah oh i, I can't imagine absolutely. absolutely congratulations that's very thank cool you. It is thank you um mary Kay, did you have a question I do, but it's not the question I plan to ask. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Mary Kay, keeping us on our toes. I know, <laughs> I know. Throw us a curveball. I think <laughs> I told you earlier. I was listening to the audio when I was driving down from Atlanta to Tybee, and when I heard the character of uh, Early, when you first introduce him, he is um, sharing fruit with uh, Desiree, who he kind of has a crush, and he's a teenager. And uh, somewhere in there, too, you have the really devastating scene where the girls basically are listening in on their father's lynching. And I kept thinking about Strange Fruit, you know, the big, the Billie Holiday song. Did any of that, did that influence you at all? Or am I just making connections that don't exist? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was not, I have to say that wasn't a connection that I personally made. Um, but I think that's, that is like a really interesting reading of that. Um, I think, yeah, you know, I, I, I think the, the early stuff I, I enjoyed writing uh, because I think that there is something there's a lot of it in, in the two scenes that you have described, I think speak to in part some of the duality within this book, which is that there are moments of, of really intense brutality, but I think there's also these moments of sweetness. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that scene of him courting Desiree by bringing her this fruit. And that's kind of all he's not somebody who has really much to give her, but that's what he can give her. Um, and there's something about that that I think was really sweet and, uh, and enjoyable, I think, for me to write, to have those moments of sweetness and those moments of people showing love and showing care to each other amidst the, this backdrop the, of, of brutality and of, of violence that exists within this world around them. Yeah, I keep thinking about the description of her with the blueberries in her hand. You know, and she, scatters, nice. yeah. and she scatters them when her mother shows up and, you know, basically chases early away yeah i wonder if that was like a subconscious thing if you'd ever like i don't know i don't know about you but as a writer for me lots of times i write things and then later i find out that somehow subconsciously i've 
absorb something. Yeah. I mean, that could be true. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I never knew what strange fruit, you know, the big Billy holiday song was until I read something about it, that it's about a lynching. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's a very haunting song. Yeah, it totally is. Okay, I wasn't supposed to ask you that question, but I did anyway. No, that's <laughs> awesome. interesting question. That's awesome. Patty, do you would you like to ask your question? Brad, I have to tell you, I have total writer envy. Um, the way that you can dip in and out of time is nothing short of masterful. Um, you dip so close, we can smell the blackberries in her T-shirt. And then you rise up and fly back to the ease of time and space. And while I was reading and listening, because this is one of those books that I got the book and the audio. So while I've been reading and listening, I kept wondering about your background. Um, and we have this question that we ask every week to people. And I wanted to ask it of you, which is what were the values around reading and writing in your household when you were growing up? And how do you think that shaped not only you as a writer, but this story? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I think that I feel, uh, I feel fortunate in a lot of ways that, um, I mean, I think my, my mom, well, first I'll say my mom was the big reader and is still the big reader in my house. Um, so my mom was really the person who kind of instilled that into me, uh, my interest in books. Um, and you know, I, I grew up experiencing books as a form that was very free. Like my parents mm -hmm. did not care what I read at all. They, they, wow. They didn't like, you know, they were kind of judgy about music with the cussing and they didn't really let us watch like rated our movies. And they were kind of like, they would censor that a little bit, but with the books, they did not know what I was reading. They didn't really care. They were just kind of glad I was reading. Awesome. Um, and my older sister worked at the library. So she was just like my hookup. Mm. Like I would get so many books <laughs> through her or whenever like she was done reading them, I would read them because she didn't have like, you know, she just cleared her own late fines. So, so she could just like, she just cleared it herself if it was late. So, yeah. So, so, and, and she was like my, you know, like my book plug that I went to. Wow. Um, and that was how I got so many books was either through her or the books that my parents just had on the shelf that I read. Um, and that was really important to me. I think it supplemented the books that I read in school, which were not particularly books that I was interested no. in. So, right, right, right. Um, so it was a lot of it was the books that my parents had on the shelf and they had a lot of sort of classic uh, books or the books that I read in the library, which was just like anything that I wanted to read because my parents didn't monitor or censor it. Um, so I think that that's, that's, that was important to me was having books be a place of absolute freedom. And mm -hmm. my sister, like working at the library would tell me about people like p parents who would come in and have to look through their children's books before allowing them to check oh, yeah. them out. Oh yeah. And I just remember always thinking like, Oh, that's awful because like there were a lot of books I read that I should not have been reading. <laughs> but like, I think it's important for that to be a space that can be private and can be free for you as, yeah. as a person who's growing up. And to me that that's an association that I have with reading and still with writing. Well, there, what question. did your sister think about you now that you're your librarian sister, the one who works in the library, <laughs> now that you're a great author? What does she think? 
I mean, yeah, she's, I mean, all, my whole family is very supportive. Uh, my sister has probably been to the most of my like Zoom events out of anybody. She goes, oh, to, that's uh, so that she can go to. Um, but yeah, that was, that was so important to me to have, uh, you know, my direct line to, to the library <laughs> was just, I would just ask her like, Hey, can you get me this? And she would always be able to like bump me up to the front of the line to get the books. That were on hold. We, yeah. We subverted the system in a lot of ways. We probably weren't supposed to do that. But now we, your we, book is like number 400 on the waiting list. It's the library. <laughs> That's I know. Right. Exactly. But she, instead of her being the vanishing half, she was like, you're book thief that's why I love that question so yeah. much because I we find these little peaks into the the writers that we become to this little yeah. tiny lens that we don't talk about that much but that is fascinating and probably all of those books that you read that might not have been allowed yeah. like snuck their way into who you are today it's fascinating yeah. really was there one was there one book that you remember your sister hooked you up with that you were just like yeah this is it this is my jam <laughs> <laughs> you know it's hard because i remember i would read like a lot of different romance novels uh and i remember like enjoying i remember enjoying this because like my parents were not going to have romance novels that just wasn't what <laughs> they had on the shelf so I remember reading some of those. Um, I don't really, I just remember the thing that I miss about how I used to read as a kid was that I read so widely. Like I, yeah. you don't, you're not like a snob when you're a kid. You don't have any type of, I mean, at least I wasn't. So maybe some people were, but <laughs> I just read so widely. I read everything. I read YA, I read romance, I read mystery, I read whatever I wanted to read. I had no sense of I well I don't like science fiction or I don't like you know I didn't have right, any sense right, of that right. um so I just remember just reading so widely and often reading things that she had finished and kind of passed on to me if she was done with it uh but just reading so widely and yeah in, in that space of of not being judgmental and just being free to read right. whatever like I that's the that's the feeling I think I continue to chase as an adult but it's hard because you, you know, you develop preferences or you kind of put yourself in boxes sometimes of what types yeah. of things you like and what types of things you don't. If we could right. just give that to every kid, Britt, yeah. right? That feeling of being yeah. able to go into a library and choose that their yeah. adventure without sense yes. of yeah. Yeah. Think of all the worlds yeah. that would be opened. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so as you all out there know, one of the reasons we do this is to support independent bookstores. Um, and as we mentioned, we have a great one this week. Mary Kay, did you want to tell us a little bit about the bookstore of the week? Yes. It's Harriet's Bookstore. Mm -hmm. And it is, Britt, where is this bookstore? Uh, I think it's in Philly. That's where I grew up. In Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Harriet's Bookstore is the indie bookseller of the week. You can see the link to it, and they are going to give us a discount. Yep, they have 10% 10, 10 off at um, on their bookshop.org page. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I really like this when when she opens. The owner is a woman named Janine Cook, and when she opened the store earlier this year, she described her store to Philadelphia Magazine as if Black Girl Magic were a bookshop. Um, mm. So it's really become, from what I've read, a very magical place, um, and they're 
kind of extending this magic to you by offering these books with this 10% discount. So the link is up on our Friends in Fiction page. And I'm just realizing I need to pin it to the top again, but I will do that um, as soon as the show is over. So yeah, and if you, right there. yeah, if you purchase $50 worth of books, they, you're going to get a free, a really nice book bag. And you're also going to get a really nice feeling that you supported an indie bookstore, which is really um, something that we feel very strongly about. Absolutely. Thank you. That's perfect. Okay. So now the four of us had a chance to ask Britt some questions and now we would love to let you do the same. So we've chosen two from among the questions on our Facebook page and we would love to let Britt answer both of them. And then we'll ask a couple of live questions too. So Mary Alice, do you want to start us off? I do. I have the very first one. And this question is from Emily Hampson, who says she just finished reading The Vanishing Half. And she says, I would love to hear from Britt which sister storyline was more challenging to write or did both evolve fluidly throughout the drafting process? That's a good question. Um, I think they both presented their own challenges in different ways. Um, But I think overall, I think I have to say Stella. I think that Stella's, I knew going into it that Stella was going to be uh, well, maybe I, I shouldn't say I knew. I assumed going into it that Stella would be the character that readers would be most resistant to. Um, that mm-hmm. I don't know that that's true. That's I, I, no, like I can't. I haven't gotten that vibe overwhelmingly <laughs> um, that people hate Stella. Um, some people have told me that they hate Stella, but it hasn't been like that is the consensus. But I yeah. thought like going into it, like people might hate Stella, so. I knew that there was going to be a challenge of not making this character likable, but just making her, her choices understandable. Like I wanted you to understand why she was doing what she was doing, even if you didn't like her. Um, So I knew that that was kind of some heavy lifting that I would have to do with writing Stella was just making her choices legible. Uh, And I think in a a context and in a time and a place in which people might find it hard to understand why would she do this? So so I knew that going into it. And then beyond that, just her, her as a character, she's a very interior character. She's very guarded. She's very secretive. And I think those types of characters can be really difficult to represent what they're thinking and what they're feeling because they're not going to just tell you, you know? So right. Right. in a lot of ways, I think her story was really challenging. I knew that she would be this character that was kind of missing. Like in the beginning of the book, she it's the, it's the absence of Stella that kind of drives the book forward. And yes, yes. so there's a lot of pressure on Stella, even in her absence, that she has to do a lot of work in the book. So I knew that there was a lot of, a lot of pressure on, on trying to get Stella right. Um, and I think that, that that was probably why I think she, she felt more difficult to, there was just more for yeah. her to do in the book that, that was also challenging for me. Yeah, that, makes that makes sense. sense. Thank you. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Patty, would you like to ask a reader question too? Yes. This question is from Morgan Bowen and I'm going to combine it with a question of my own because that's how I am. But <laughs> she's wondering why you chose this to end the story at the point you did. She, I'm not going to give a spoiler, but she said she was left wanting more in a very good <laughs> way, which kind of leads me into, will there be a sequel? <laughs> um, That's my addition to the question. A couple of people have asked on the, on the questions. Yeah. Hi. I mean, probably not, but I do think that there is space 
in the series maybe to go beyond the book in some ways that are oh, interesting. Yeah. That oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, but again, I'm not going to be writing it. So that's not up to me at this point. Right. But there are some interesting ideas that have been floated about ways to go beyond the scope of the book that are exciting to me, I think. So maybe that will wow. maybe to some of the questions people have. Um, but yeah, it's that question um, where the book lands. Um, I think endings are impossible. Um, I I'm usually know where I want to begin something. I never know where, where I want to end. Um, so I think endings are impossible. And um, I think with this book, it was particularly challenging because there were all of these different relationships and they all kind of ended at different points. Yeah. There wasn't like one feeling of like, you know, like the season finale where everybody gathers in the bar. <laughs> like, there's not a moment. There's not a moment like that in the book. Um, and there was like an obvious possibility that presented itself when there's an event that happens at the end of the book. Uh, but that felt so neat and like convenient. And I just kind of resisted that. Um, so I think for me, the challenge of it is like, there's all of these kind of cascading endings throughout the book. Um, but to me, that was what I understand the way in which that maybe is not as narratively satisfying as the gang gathering in a bar together. But to me, it felt more like real this life. This isn't like, cheers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, to me, it felt more like, yeah, it felt more like real life. Like that's what yeah. happens is you, people kind of lose touch in different ways or you say goodbye to people at different points or you lose them at some other moment. Um, to me, that felt that for, felt more real and true to the book. Um, so in that way, and I think also thinking about that, I knew that I wanted to land with Jude because I think that Jude is a character who uh, is, you know, she's a, one of the first characters you meet. She's the character who walks onto the page in the first paragraph of the book. And it's her arrival to Mallard that causes a lot of controversy and causes uh, this this whole town to kind of be uh freaking out that there's a stark skinned child that's arrived in this town. That's what happens in the opening of the book. So landing with her also yeah, felt right to, yeah, to, yeah. to kind of create that circle and, and also to create, uh, to me, there was something hopeful about the ending of the book. Maybe people aren't going to read it that way, but to me, I felt like there was something hopeful to leave you with that next generation. Um, Always. You've seen, You've seen what has happened in this previous generation and all of the choices that people have made and all the complications of that. But to leave you looking ahead to that next generation to me felt like felt like a, a moment of hope that maybe it will be different this time. And I think that's that's mm-hmm. all you can really offer and all you can really believe in. I and love it. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's I love that you said cascading endings. Yeah, it was a really good way. I'm going to write that down. Cascading. (laughs) Yeah. I actually much prefer to the happy ending big dinner party at the end. I actually much prefer. So I thought. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Christy, did you want to pull a live question? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm leaning in. Patty has like really amazing eyes. Oh, I have really amazing glasses. So um, (laughs) here. No, I I love this question. Um, This is from Linda Stanko. There are more characters in the sisters who have a vanishing half. Do you see all of us as having a side that we try to deny? I love that. That's a great question. It's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, probably. (laughs) I think, I think a lot of us do. Um, I think for me, so much of, the question driving this novel was about how we become who we are and how we become the people that we ultimately are and who, and what, what part of us ourselves we 
we change in order to do that or we deny in order to do that or we leave behind. Um, and I think that there, there are so many of these kind of shadow selves that we have of different mm. people, you know, in a different timeline, I would have gone to law school or in a different timeline, I would have done whatever, I would have stayed in California, whatever it is. Um, we all have these, these parts of ourselves that we leave behind at some point um, in order to become somebody else and that we've kind of I love departed that. from. Uh, so to me, so much of this book was about exploring that and exploring these lives not lived, but also these, these transformations and the ways in which they can be very liberating and also they can be painful and how we exist within that duality of changing in a way that kind of frees you, but also sometimes mourning what you left behind. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, So Britt, this is also interesting. And um, as all of you out there probably know, on every Friends in Fiction episode, we try to give you a writing tip for all the aspiring writers out there. But I think that tonight, the five of us are all really eagerly waiting to hear what you have to say, because we're all in, you know, I think we just all, um, as obviously as writers ourselves, we all have a lot of respect for the the writing you're doing. Um, Can you, can you share with us a writing tip tonight? Yeah, the the writing tip I have is a very small one, and it's not particularly original, but something that has helped me, I think, particularly writing during this pandemic, uh, when it is often difficult to focus. Um, part of it, what's helped me really is when I've finished writing for the day, I try to write one or two sentences into the next thing that I'm going to write, uh, whether that's the next section, the next chapter, the next paragraph. I give myself a two sentence head start heading into the next day. Um, And to me, that's been so helpful because there's truly nothing more intimidating than sitting down to write and staring at a blank page. Mm -hmm. So when you give yourself that little head start, you take away the stress of staring at that blank page. Even if it's something that you wake up the next morning and you don't like where that was going, Mm -hmm. you want to go a different direction. It's just psychologically so helpful to have Mm -hmm. something on the page when you're starting and it's also, I think, so much easier when you're already in the rhythm of writing to, yeah. to do an extra two sentences than when you're sitting down and now you have to create that from nowhere. Um, right. So that's been something that I've been really trying to do is just when I find myself reaching a stopping point, instead of stopping at the end of that chapter and, and being like getting that feeling of completion that you've finished right. something, right. instead, <laughs> it, that's such a good rush and I enjoy it, but I try <laughs> not to let myself stop there. And instead, push myself into the, okay, what are two sentences toward what I'm going to do tomorrow? And then I stop there because I think that it psychologically is just helpful to not be intimidated by that blank page when you yeah. sit down. That is such That's a, a really point. good idea because you do get intimidated the next morning with the blank page over and over again. Yes. Yeah. And I think it takes so much longer to start. Like you may take an hour to write two pages, that two sentences that next day where you could have done the two sentences that day because you're just kind of in the rhythm of doing it. I think it, it's just the starting cold is a lot harder than once you've been going. I'll tell you, Britt, I've been doing this for a long time, but I haven't done that, but I think I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great tip. Um, Britt, that makes me wonder, do you outline or do you just sit down and go? You just have so many um, interesting interconnecting storylines. I'm kind of wondering how you juggle them. Thank you. I don't outline. Um, I have a very... Mm-hmm. Um, inefficient way of writing, uh, which is just following wherever the story leads me. And, Answer. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just dealing with the fallout later. So awesome. it's not, it's not like I wouldn't recommend my process to anybody. But, <laughs> um, but I finally, like I finally in this 
the new thing I'm working on, I've finally started using a timeline of just like events. Oh the story. God, yes. You'd be surprised that, you know, it's helpful to know where you are in time and to know <laughs> what things have happened before or after other things. Who knew? Um, this is the first time I've done that. So that's the <laughs> Yeah, timelines are my nemesis. Well, yeah. <laughs> We're laughing because this is so relatable. This is, yeah. <laughs> like every book, I'm like, Huh? What year was it again? Maybe it's down. Exactly. Having all these problems. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, the story math. Yeah. (laughs) The story math. (laughs) Oh my god. That's why all of us write words and don't deal with numbers. Exactly. (laughs) Can you tell us anything about what you're working on now? Uh, yeah, I want to say it's still very early, but it's about singers. It's a book about these two singers who have a lifelong feud. Um, oh, wow. really? it's, fun. It's, a, it's been a fun book. I mean, it's yeah, it's a fun book to write. It's about music, and it's fun to, fun. to yeah. write into this world that is very larger than life, and also to write into a world that's very different than our our socially distanced world right now. <laughs> thinking about parties and concerts and and those types of things. Right. So it's been it's been a lot of fun to uh, spend my time working on that book. That's yeah, awesome. that's cool. I'm looking wait. forward that to it. Great, it's yeah. a great concept. Um, Britt, we also love to give book recommendations on the show. Do you have anything you've read recently that you might want to recommend to our viewers? Uh, yeah, I, um, I read, uh, I really read recently, um, uh, Such a Fun Age by Kylie. Uh, which oh was yeah. It was so good. My friend book club and, uh, yeah, such a, such a fun, uh, just like, compu- like propulsive. I mean, I, I'm not a fast reader. I'm a very slow reader. Um, and I just like ripped through it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a great book. I think particularly if anybody is in a rut uh, or, or struggling to finish anything right now, that's a great book that would jolt you. Um, and I also really love the book Feast Your Eyes by Myla Goldberg, which is written in the form of an art catalog. Uh, yeah. A friend who's a bookseller who recommended it to me. And uh, she's described the character, the narrator is describing photographs that you never actually see, but Oh, there are captions wow. to these photographs, and that is like weaving together the story of her mother, who was a famous photographer in the 60s, 50s. So, yeah, that book, that book was heartbreaking, but so uh, beautiful and just uh, amazingly. I don't know how this, like, I don't know how she did this, but I, I love reading a book that gives you that feeling where you're just yeah. like, this person did something I could never do, and that's amazing. So I love that book a lot. That's awesome. Great recommendation. Thank you. Um, Mary Alice, I think you have a book recommendation. I do. Thank you. Um, I'm reading, um, just finished. uh, Can you see Fanny Flagg's the brand new, The Wonder Boy of Whistle Stop. And what I I absolutely loved it. It's um, anyone, I loved fried bean tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Uh, It was really a landmark book when it came out. It was really popular. And the movie, I, I watched it recently in preparation for Fanny Flagg's visit. Just as fabulous. I mean, when you, Brit, you know, when a movie's made that's really good, it lasts, it really ties the book into the memories and the hearts of your readers. And this one, The Wonder Boy of Whistle Stop, is Buddy Threadgood, who lost his arm, if you remember, in the original book. And he returns to Whistle Stop. What I didn't expect is that you much even more so than your book, Britt, you bounce around time yeah. a lot in this book. And so it it makes it go fast, but it also links the story together. What I loved, if anyone who read 
the original novel, Fried Green Tomatoes, you see everybody. It's a gathering from Evelyn, you know, Tawanda, to um, Buddy and Minnie, the whole gang is there. And it's so heartwarming and it has Fanny Flagg's signature humor, which you're gonna love. And we are so excited because Fanny Flagg is coming. And I read her book back when it came out, um, gosh, when was it? Early, late 80s, early 90s, I think. And it was- 87. I just read 87. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 87. And so this, it's taken her a long time to write the sequel. We're all dying to read it. And she doesn't disappoint. So this is uh, the Wonder Boy of Whistle Stop. I really loved it. Well, that is the perfect transition into talking about um, the exciting thing we have coming up next week. Patty, did you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, we are so excited to be taking friends in fiction on the virtual, virtual, someday real road next week. As Mary Alice mentioned, the amazing Fanny Flagg has a new novel out and one of our favorite bookstores in Fairhope, Alabama is Page and Palettes. And they are letting us, the Fab Five, take the reins to host Fanny for a virtual launch event. Of course, Fanny is not only an author, but also an actress, comedian, Academy Award nominee, blah, blah. <laughs> the Wonder Boy, I know, right? The Wonder Boy Whistle Stop picks up a story that Mary Alice was just talking about that so many of us grew to love in Fried Green Tomatoes, which is, of course, based on her 1987 novel. <laughs> so if you purchase your copy of The Wonder Boy of Whistle Stop from Page and Palette, not only will your book be autographed by not me, but Fanny Flagg. <laughs> and you can join us next Thursday, November 12th at 7 p.m. for a Zoom chat with Fanny herself. We will post all the details under announcements on our Friends and Fiction page. I want to mention one book really quick. Um, I know it's out of order, but I want to mention this book that is coming, that is out now. Um, by a Dublin publisher called The Epicurean by Charles McNair. And I know Kathy knows Charles, too, from Decatur, Alabama. And he, I mean, Decatur, Georgia, but he's from Alabama. And his new book is a fairy tale book. And I just found it this week. And woof. so I just wanted to put that out there along with it. So. And we will post all these books on our Friends in Fiction page. So a lot of you ask, what was the name of that book? Yeah, so we'll post them all. Yeah, we'll do it after we sign off tonight. That's perfect. And Mary Kay, you'll be hosting us next week on November 11th. What? Yeah. <laughs> Get it together, lady. Um, the day before our Fanny Flag extravaganza right here on Friends in Fiction. Can you tell us a little bit about next week's episode? Yes, next Wednesday at our regular time, 7 p.m., we'll be welcoming New York Times bestselling author Caroline Levitt to the show. She is one of the founders of A Mighty Blaze, which is an amazing online book group. And she'll be letting us all know about her latest novel, With or Without You. So we'll see you right here next Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time for um, Caroline Levitt. We hope you will all join us. Perfect. And Christy, can you remind us about our podcast and newsletter? Yeah, so we will put links to both of those under announcements at the top of our page. But if you are not subscribed to our newsletter, you are missing out. 
Um, for example, this week, um, Britt gave us, um, answered some really fun questions for us, gave us some little behind the scenes sneak peeks. Kristen wrote a really beautiful essay. Our book club is making announcements in there um, that you won't find anywhere else. So definitely make sure that you sign up if you have not. It comes on Wednesdays and um, it's great. And then um, we also have a podcast, if you didn't know yet. So you can take us with us wherever you go. Take us with you wherever so, yeah. you go. Something, so something like that. Um, <laughs> and yes, our episodes there date back to the beginning of June, starting with our visit with Kristen Hanna. And you can listen wherever you are. And we're going to be surprising you with some podcast exclusive content that is um, coming soon. So make sure that you follow us now. Perfect. And Mary Alice, um, can you tell us what we have coming up in the next few weeks? Absolutely. On November 18th, we have JT Ellison and Hank Filippi Ryan. And then on November 25th, which is right before Thanksgiving, our special treat for all of you is Sue Monk Kid. We're very excited about that. And then we'll be closing out November with a special bonus episode on Sunday, November 29th, featuring legendary chef and cookbook author and great friend, Natalie Dupree. We have lots of more in store for you in December, so stay tuned. Wonderful. And all right, you guys, one more reminder about the Bookstore of the Week, Harriet's Bookshop. The link is on our Facebook page, and there's no coupon required to get 10% off our latest releases. And of course, Brit's two wonderful books, too. So it's a great store to support. They've become a really vital part of their community. And like all bookstores now, independent bookstores now, they really need your support. Mm -hmm. So to all of you out there, please stick around for a few more minutes because we're going to do our five-minute after show together, all in one room with our masks on. So you get a glimpse at our mask game, which is very on point. <laughs> in the meantime, maybe yours <laughs> is. My, it's extremely, I mean, come on, you guys. No, you've seen me in my mask. Um, no, but in the meantime, Britt, we cannot thank you enough for joining Brit, us. Thank we you. Love you. Oh, it was such a treat. Thank you. thank you. And thank you for writing such a beautiful book. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, it's an amazing thing when the words we write can help move the country in a better, smarter, kinder direction. And it's been, yeah. amazing. it's been just been amazing to watch that happen with your words and your book. And, um, you know, we're just also glad to know you now and we look forward to reading your next one and hopefully having you back on our show in the future. So thank you so thank much. You. Brit. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Bye. Hope to meet you in real life any sometime soon. Exactly. I know. Yeah. Right. Oh, she's gone. <laughs> Hi, Britt. Okay, so you guys, that is a wrap on the show, but stick around for our after show. We are masking up. Mary Alice might infect us from far, far away. <laughs> this is some sympathy. This is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mary Alice, like us, has taken a um a COVID test. She is negative. Yeah. So I think the ladies should be coming behind me any second to join us for a live after show together. Let me just turn my audio <laughs> up. Oh, Mary Alice, we cannot wait for you to join us. Yes, here they, oops, here come the masked oh, ladies. I've got my guys here. They're just, they're stuck in a bar. If I see, like, <laughs> It almost looks like I'm about to get assaulted. Like you turn around and there's like, <laughs> what is everybody all together? So was it not amazing? Did you guys have such a great time? She was amazing. Oh, she was so great. And you guys out there, we are so excited about what the future of Friends and Fiction is going to bring. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're here in our masks. Yay. It's why we're here in our masks. It's why we had... Things stuck up our nose to make sure that we don't have COVID. <laughs> we 
are going to plan some amazing things for you. There's lots more to come. So thank you all tonight for a wonderful we love you. Mary Alice. We hope to we see you in a couple you. days. See you in a couple we'll days. Post everything on Friends and Fiction. Thanks again, Britt, for joining us tonight. Stay night, safe everybody. out there. Thanks for being with us. Bye. Bye. <laughs> like slinking down. I know. <laughs> You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.